Good afternoon, everybody, Warriors board members. Uh, this is from the War Room to the Boardroom podcast, episode focusing on preparing transition. I'm your host, Mason Wilson. I'm a strategic deals business operations at Apple, a combat veteran, Duke MBA, and Westwire. Today, we have my guest, uh, Mr. Paul Bryant Esquire. He and I will be discussing preparing transition and then his transition experience going into corporate law and, and mergers and acquisitions. Paul is an associate at Crevasse, Swain, and Moore LLP in New York. Uh, he spent time as an entry officer and as a West Point diversity outreach officer. He's a graduate of both West Point and Columbia Law. And so without further ado, I'm going to pass it over to Paul Bryant, one of my good friends. Hey, well, appreciate the uh, the, the the big introduction, man. Esquire is such a, a interesting term to add to the end of the name. I forget that it's there sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, no, that's awesome, man. So, I mean, look, uh, happy to be here. Happy to provide advice to all the different listeners and the different populations that are looking to potentially transition out. You know, that's a big process to tackle. So glad to give, you know, what advice I could give and and, and any tips and pointers. Awesome. So for our listeners who don't know, Paul and I were at the Academy together. So I've known this guy for uh, at least a decade and a half. So it's been a minute. And so diapers. (laughs) (laughs) And so people that don't know you, Paul, can you tell me a little about who you are? Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, originally from uh, Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, grew up just outside of D.C. in Prince George's County, Maryland, went to West Point uh, some, yeah, man, wow, 10, 15 years ago now. That's crazy. Uh, Did a year at West Point prep school. Uh, back in Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, now since relocated to the academy grounds at West Point. Graduated with an American legal studies major with a uh, concentration, engineering concentration in computer science. Spent a couple of years as an infantry officer, uh, was stationed at Fort Hood, Texas for a while, uh, did a little bit of time in Korea, um, and then also finished off my military time as a, a West Point admissions officer. Uh, then transitioned to Columbia Law School, focusing on uh, you know finance law, corporate law, and then graduated and and began work here in New York City uh, as a corporate attorney uh, at the firm that I'm currently at right now. So uh, interesting journey. Happy to dig into it a little bit more. So family background. Uh, so I have a, a beautiful, almost two year old daughter now. So she's uh, she's turning two tomorrow. Uh, I did not come up in a military family, so but but have a lot of military experience uh, in my family through cousins and, you know, my grandfather and stuff like that. So uh, enjoyed that. That kind of shaped the, the, the trajectory a little bit. In terms of what drew me to the military, initially, I'd say free education. And, and, and to be honest, like just, you know, the structure, you know, coming up in a single mom, you know, household, You know, I had a lot of structure. My mom was amazing, but I felt like I needed to be in an environment that would help facilitate me to stay focused. Right. Um, My mom implemented a ton of structure on my life. So I felt like without that kind of guidance there. And I don't know how I was thinking about this at 17, but somehow I was. Right. But I guess my cousin had my cousin had a similar situation. His mom was also as, as rigid as mine. And he went to a, a, a very fun school, I would say. And 
uh, he started his military career a bit earlier than mine because he uh, ended up not finishing uh, <laughs> his undergraduate pursuits. Um, so I figured I would try to do that at the origin and outset. By going to West Point, they sent me a letter in the mail. I thought it was awesome. Uh, they flew me up to come do a summer program. I loved it, you know, and, and that was, you know, the beginning of the story. So nice, nice. Uh, great background. I appreciate that. If I recall correctly, you, you were also a, a national champ boxer. Did I, did I forget that? Yeah, we were on the national championship team. So I was a, a welterweight at 147 pounds. I was a probably one of the, the brightest moments and brightest uh, experiences that I've had at West Point. Uh, that team kind of shaped me and I still try to stay in contact with everybody that was uh, was was boxing with me too. the West Point Boxing Brotherhood. More like a fraternity than a sport team, but uh, I'll let that speak on that. For sure. For sure. And so coming from that experience, you know, spending your time at Hood doing outreach uh, and now you're an attorney. So, you know, where are you now and like kind of what experience was required to get there and kind of what do you really do? What does it mean to be a transactions or a corporate attorney? As a, as a corporate transactional attorney, one of the, the lesser known practices, I guess, from a layperson standpoint, what I do is I help corporations uh, structure, negotiate, and document any type of transaction that they want to undertake in order to promote and further their business interests. So what does that look like, right? So let's say, you know, you have a company that wants to acquire another company, or let's say someone makes an offer to acquire your company, you know, and you're interested in that and that fits your business plan, you would hire, you know, a, a number of different professional services uh, providers to include attorneys, consultants, investment bankers. Um, as the attorney, what I would do is I would, you know, negotiate and structure those contracts, ensure that all of the, you know, specific legal risks that are inherent to any type of, you know, transaction are addressed properly in the contracts. I would review, you know, any underlying contracts or any underlying corporate documentation to ensure that everything allowed for a particular business interest to uh, to, to take place. And, uh, you know, you pretty much just kind of hold the hand of your client, advise them and make sure that they're not doing anything illegal. And, uh, you know, that can be fun and stressful and challenging uh, all at once. But it's a it's a good practice area uh, in terms of, you know, qualifications. I'd say that law school is very focused on litigation. So that's your traditional courtroom lawyer stand before a jury and judge type situation. Right. So uh, there are some law schools that do have very, very good programs that help prepare corporate transactional attorneys, Columbia being one of them. Uh, with the unique situation of being in New York City, a lot of the leading corporate transactional practitioners are based in New York City, which is, of course, the financial hub of the United States. So I was you know, taught and trained by some very, very exceptional attorneys, transactional attorneys who would come in and teach different classes at Columbia. And that's you know, what kind of focused me on, on attending Columbia as well. But outside of that, you just need a JD. You, know, you just need a JD from a very good school. Uh, and, and, you know, have an open mindset and be able to solve problems. And I think, you know, that'll be the basis of what you would need in order to be a good transactional attorney. Everything else you kind of just learn on the job. And there's also a bar requirement as well, right? Correct. That is correct. Yes, you do have to pass the uh, the bar of any state that you want to practice. That's exactly right. 
And so out of all the law practices that you could have chosen from, I guess, how did you settle on transactions and M&A? Because, you know, from being a veteran, I mean, I know you were a legal studies major, but like, mm-hmm. I, I only know litigation, but I only learned that through like talking to people like you or like Dave White. Right. Yeah. right. So in terms of like how you settle in a particular practice area, I would say outside of just, you know, practicing. <laughs> You would really just talk to attorneys like in law school, depending on where you go, you will have a lot of opportunities to have touch points with different practitioners from a myriad of different practice areas. Right. So really, you want to talk to them about the pros, the cons. You know, you can even ask them like, hey, if you could pick a different area, like what would you pick and why? And once you start to like listen to some of these answers, you'll be able to aggregate them into what really resonates with you. Right. So for me, the litigation practice is is excellent. Like, and and I admire people that do that, but I wanted to work with businesses, particularly in like discrete transactional focus. Right. I wanted to be an advisor. I wanted to tell you, hey, this is how you can do something. Um, I think that the litigators are more of the, they, they solve the problems. Right. When there is a problem, they are really hopping on top of that problem and figuring out ways to promote the legal interests in terms of, you know, if you get sued or if you need to undertake an investigation in order to handle something, right? So for me, I just wanted to create a situation as opposed to kind of being reactive. And I think as a transactional attorney, you get to create new and novel structures to promote the interests of your client. And I think that's, uh, you know, more in line with what I wanted to do. No, very helpful. And so in looking at your journey, how did you get here. So from a military perspective, kind of what was your last job in the army and when did you think about leaving? So uh, initially, you know, when I started in the army, I knew that I wanted to practice the law, which is why I majored in American legal studies at West Point. West Point is actually interesting because it's one of, you know, a very small amount of U.S. schools that actually has a a law major uh, as an undergrad. A lot of you know, people who go into the law will do some type of amalgamated pre-law program, which is, you know, a broad-based humanities program with some English, some political science, et cetera, or uh, a lot of law majors will just major in political science and then kind of transition into law school. So any type of, you know, heavy writing, reading, comprehension-based curriculum is usually what you'll see law majors major in undergrad. But West Point actually has a major that is taught by Practicing attorneys, uh, where you take, you know, similar law school, similar law courses that you'll take in your first and second year of law school. So that was a unique advantage. When I got into the army, you know, there, unless you direct commission, i.e., you know, you go to law school before you join the army, you can't actually commission and then immediately begin practicing law. You have to go into one of the army's various different basic branches. Uh, and then you spend some time being a soldier and you can you know, go into law school in a number of different ways. And then subsequent to that, you can practice law as a military attorney or judge advocate generals, as it's called. So to me, once I started uh, my career as an infantry officer, I enjoyed it, but I knew that I still wanted to practice law. Once I did a little more digging into, you know, what does a judge advocate general actually do? Uh, I saw that that's super broad-based practice. Uh, in the military, as most of you all know, you know, you transition jobs every two to three years, right? So for a lot of judge advocate generals, minus a very small amount, 
you are going to do something completely different. You're going to practice a completely different area of the law. So for three years or two years, you might be a defense attorney. And then for two or three years, you might you know, advise commanders on legal implications of missions. And then for two or three years, you might teach at the Judge Advocate General School, right? And all of those things are exceptional, but I wanted to have a very focused practice uh, so that I could build my expertise very quickly. And I realized that I could only do that outside of the Army. Uh, once, once I started to explore options outside of the Army to go to law school and the different flavors of the law, I settled on transactional practice as uh, something that I really wanted to do that was in line with my interests. And uh, I did that, and I'm still figuring out whether that was a great idea or not. <laughs> no, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And so, like, why you can you talked about like why you decided to leave, and so about how far out were you making that choice? You know, if you were to give like a number of months or years. Okay, no, that makes sense. Um, so for me. It was, you know, I, it took me a little bit longer because I really was weighing the cost and benefit of doing a program in the Army called the Funded Legal Education Program, which is a program in which you apply and then the Army pays for your three years of law school. You owe, you know, several years on the back end, but then you, once upon finishing law school and passing the bar, begin practicing as a judge advocate general. So I really was on the fence of doing that because the financial considerations of law school, it's a very, very expensive endeavor and to, you know, be free of that burden. Um, and then also to have a guaranteed job that, you know, I had already, you know, started to express interest in after seeing like a great opportunity. But again, for me and my spirit, I just knew that like I didn't want to rotate in my practice on a regular basis. So I I, I would say maybe. 24 months out of uh, my proposed start date for law school, I realized, okay, I want to do this outside of the Army. It's been 24 months. That makes yeah. sense. And as you were like looking at this, you talked about, you know, getting together and talking to mentors. I guess one, what did those mentors advise you to do? And then upon leaving the military, like your finished separation date, what did you do? Were there like programs that you were leveraging? Were there a particular type of... Uh, you know, whether it's like JMO programs or SEO or things like that, what did you consider doing? Right. In terms of mentors, this is where it gets a little tricky, right? <laughs> because mentors, you know, have a bit of confirmation bias, right? That that they will project and, and it's good and they should, right? Because it provides you some different perspectives. But I would say uh, some of my mentors in the army, a, a number of them, they, you know, were very, very adamant about, hey, you should stay in the army and you should do the flip and you should, you know, continue on in that path. It's an excellent trajectory. You already went to West Point. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities that are inherent to, you know, your your origin of the military. Uh, and, and those were all valid. And then a number of my mentors who were outside of the army really were adamant about, hey, like, you know, if you don't want to stay in the army, you know, you should really get out. You should really explore it as a civilian. Uh, the opportunities are boundless outside of the big green machine, right? So you really have to kind of take all of it with a grain of salt and see what really just resonates with you. And 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 for me, the resonation was more so, okay, I think we can do this outside of the military. I love my military experience, but in terms of practicing law, I wanted to do that in a very specific way that I don't think I would have been able to do in the military. In terms of getting out and programs that I leveraged, I randomly uh, was able to 
come upon a program called Sponsors for Educational Opportunity. It's now called Seizing Every Opportunity. Uh, and it's the SEO, it's the, the acronym is SEO, and particularly the SEO Law Program. And when I applied to that program in 2017, it was a program that essentially took people who had already applied to and began getting admission to different law schools. And it allowed you the opportunity to come to New York and do about a two week seminar that, you know, kind of ran you through the gambit of, hey, this is these are the different flavors of law. This is what law school is going to look like. We even got to take the mock law school exams. And then we took like a, a law school writing course. And then uh, the crown jewel of the program is essentially a about a 10 week internship at a major law firm uh, during the summer before you start law school. And uh, it was 100% free, and we actually got paid at the internship. And that was what really gave me a lot of exposure to the transactional practice, what it looks like to practice at like a large law firm. And, you know, essentially, the the firm that I interned at subsequently ended up being the firm that I began practicing the law at. So that was like a very, very synergistic experience for me. Now, you know, and this is a small commercial for this program. It is now built out into a program that mirrors the MLT or consortium programs for business school in that they will now help you. You apply maybe, I think, a year or two out of your promote or projected law school date, and they will help you with your applications. They'll help you with the uh, LSAT study and and everything else. So uh, if you are interested in going to law school, I would definitely uh, 100% unreservedly endorse applying to the SEO Law Catalyst program is what it's called now, uh, and definitely take advantage of that opportunity. No, it's very helpful. Um, in addition to like some of the big law firms, I guess, have similar programs. And for those of us that are you know less familiar with the legal space, what are some of those big names that come to mind that are you know the McKinsey, but of the law world? Right, right. I mean, well, so uh, and most of your practicing attorneys, uh, in what they call big law and big law is just a name for large law firms that, you know, I think it's categorized by the number of attorneys that the firm and the profits per partner. So, you know, take revenue over a year, divide by number of partners, you have profits per partner. And I think, you know, I can't tell you the minimums for that, but basically, you know, if you have several hundred lawyers in your firm, you're probably a big law, you know, probably classified as a big law firm. Some of the big names that you'll see will be listed on what's called the Vault Law Top 100 firms, right? So uh, you have Cravath, Swain and Moore, you have Wachtell, Lipton and Katz, you have uh, Scat and Arps, you have White and Case, Proskauer Rose, you know, some of these very big institutional, what they call white shoe firms. Uh, that were, you know, established in the 1800s and now have continued to practice law and develop really, really uh, definitive systems for how law is practiced uh, at the corporate level. And, and and all of these firms have a ton of different practice areas that you you can dig into. Uh, my firm, I'm at Cravath, Swain and & Moore, and we have a rotation system. And in that rotation system, you are perpetually rotating through different corporate or litigation practice areas. So there is a lot of synergy in the different corporate practices. So M&A is going to have a lot of financing components, a lot of securities components, uh, you know, and a, a, a myriad of different things that you can kind of rotate through. And that's what we do so that once you potentially become partner, you're a corporate generalist. 
So you can essentially handle most any type of transaction that a corporation would want to solicit an attorney for. No, that's, that's a lot of great detail. From here, you know, one, where are you trying to go next? And then we'll kind of talk about like lessons learned in your process of transitioning and going into law. Right. So for me, the unique benefit of being at the firm that I'm at is, you know, you get some of the best training that you can get. Right. So and this is how I would describe, you know, the legal profession in general. I think that law school gives you a broad based education and teaches you how to think like a lawyer and gives you the vernacular, the jargon, you know, and, and everything else you need in order to start kind of being a lawyer, some of those basic tools. Uh, when you actually go to a firm or your first legal you know, job, that's your finishing school, right? So that's going to teach you some of the habits you need. That's going to teach you like, you know, some of the attitudes you need to have about customer service, about client management, about organizational management, right? And also project management of a legal project. And, you know, for me at the firm that I'm at, you know, they are you know, excellent. The attorneys I work with are you know, really top notch. So what I'm doing right now is I'm just trying to develop the skill set of being an exceptional attorney. What I want to do with that in the long term, you know, I think about it at times, but as you do as a junior military officer, sometimes you can think about what it's going to look like to be a colonel or if you want to be a colonel. But really, when you're in the on the line as a PL or as a young XO, you're just thinking about what you need to do every day in order to get the job done and learn what you need to do. Right. So that's where I'm at right now with it. Uh, I'm like a young like XO just trying to figure out how to manage the hand receipts. Right. <laughs> so so that's where I'm at in my, my legal career. So, I mean, I think about what I want to do long term now. Could that look like partnership at a law firm? Yeah. Could that look like working as an in-house attorney? Sure. Could that look like, you know, being a consultant? Yeah, sure. Like that could be the case too, right? You know, I have no idea what that would look like, but I think, you know, as I grow a little bit more in my legal profession and legal career, it'll become more clear and I'll just kind of fall into what makes the most sense for me. No, that makes perfect sense. And so looking on your transition experience, kind of what are some lessons that you learned? Um, and kind of to start off that, were there any like, I guess, books, podcasts, blogs, resources that you recommend to other vets trying to figure out, you know, getting into law? Absolutely. No, that's an excellent question. So for me, some of the lessons, well, the biggest lesson I learned is timing. So I think that, you know, as I alluded to before, a lot of times when you're a junior military officer, you're kind of sucked into the day to day of like, OK, I got to make sure that these you know, these vehicles are maintenance. I got to make sure that the guys are good. I got to make sure that, the you know, the mission is being completed. Right. And that takes up a lot of your brain space. But I think that it is certainly a worthwhile endeavor to spend at least a little bit of time thinking about those, you know, four five year plans. What do you want to do? And then also developing those contingencies, right? Even if you're loving the army and having a great time, I would also develop a contingency plan for, hey, look, if I don't love it so much in another year or two, or if I get married and, and that changes my purview on what I'm doing right now, what will that look like? What is a plan B? And how would I start going about now setting the tone to or setting the conditions, I guess, for the military folks? in order to actualize that plan B. That would be the biggest thing that I would say 
would would give you a leg up. And what does that look like? You know, hey, if you have any interest in business school, starting to talk to people who have made that transition earlier, like sooner in your military career rather than later, would be a very good benefit because you could start to think about programs that you want to get into. You can start thinking about GMAT study, right? For the law school, it's the same way. Studying for the LSAT is a full-time job, <laughs> you know, in and within itself. So if you start to think about that earlier, you know, you can start to increase the possibility of you getting a higher score, which gets you into better schools, which, you know, improves your outcome in terms of employment subsequent to graduation. So with that being the case, I would say early, start early, thinking about any entrance exams, think about saving money. Finances is the number one thing that scares junior officers from, you know, my experience and talking with a lot of my friends and my mentees. Um, they're, they're worried about like, okay, like when the army money faucet, you know, dries up, like, what am I going to do? Like, I haven't had to ever think about this really, right? Especially for my West Point friends, right, who were getting paid since they were, you know, 17, 18 years old, right? They, they're like, oh, wait, I'm not going to get a paycheck. Like, what's what's that going to look like? And, and, and really thinking about how to budget and allocate resources and look for different programs and financing sources early. That way, even if you don't decide to make the transition, you are still comfortable with the possibility of doing so. And you're not taking opportunity off the table uh, for the sake of being afraid of what it's going to look like or being concerned, right? And everybody's situation is different, right? So I did not have a family when I had transitioned. It was just me. So, you know, I was resolved to, hey, I want to be a lawyer. And if I got to sleep on a futon uh, in a studio in New York City to do that, then that's what I'm going to do, right? I, you know, thank God I did not have to do that, right? <laughs> but, but, but I was ready to do it if I needed to, right? Because I knew that that's what I wanted. And I think that you don't have to if you don't want to. You can be very comfortable, right, wherever you're at. If you take the proper planning and do that. And what, what does that timeline look like? I would say, look, you know, as soon as you get to your unit, like, you know, do your basic officer leader course, focus on that. That's incredibly important. So I wouldn't say study for the LSAT while you're in Bolick or, or Airborne or Ranger School as an infantry officer, right? Or any other officer. Um, I would say focus on that stuff first. Uh, and then once you get to your unit, you know, spend some time getting to understand what your mission is. You know, get down to your first actual KD position, so as a platoon leader or whatever that looks like. And then once you're settled in, start thinking like, okay, long term, what do I want to do? Some of those weekends, you know, before you go out and have drinks with the boys, spend an hour or two on Saturday or Sunday thinking about, okay, like, all right, if I needed to transition, what would that look like? What jobs would I need to take at the end of my career in order to start to give me the latitude to transition, right? Because if you, you know, are one of these guys where, you know, say you're an infantry officer, you want to go to the Ranger Battalion, right? So you're going to take, you know, a platoon, you're going to take 12 to 18 months or 12 to 24 months on the line as an infantry PL, or maybe, you know, another 12 months as an XO. And then you're going to go be a, a Ranger PL, for, you know, 12 to 24 months, right? Or maybe a Ranger XO, you know, after immediately after that, you know, that doesn't give you a lot of time operationally to start focusing on transitioning out. 
you got to kind of mitigate those interests against each other and figure out what you want to do. And you got to make your decisions accordingly. So that's what I would say is the biggest thing is, you know, starting to conceptualize what a life outside of the army and what transition could look like sooner rather than later. That makes sense. So kind of like gather contingencies, very important. Make sure you have a proactive backwards plan, uh, engaging your network of like mentors and peers that have already done it, putting financial resources in place. I think those are kind of the main takeaways that I had. Absolutely. I think you brought up a couple other points that I kind of want to harp on as well. So I think the first piece you mentioned kind of when you start studying and like getting to your unit. And so I know, at least in the business world, the importance of you actually doing your job and having those army stories and doing well is quite important. Would you say there's a similar interest in law school? Because you know, I hear some people asking this question as soon as they get out of Bullock or like when they graduate, you know, when is that right time to start thinking about it? For me, it was like a senior lieutenant, like senior first lieutenant time. I had done my deployment, you know, I got my paces. And so I was like, hey, I've done my thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I no, yeah. I'd say law school is very similar to business school in that regard, right? The only only difference being that with your with your GMAT, I think the GMAT has a lot of components that you're gonna be familiar with generally if you went to a good undergraduate school, right? Whereas the LSAT is gonna be kind of learning a whole different set of skills that you have to apply on this test. So Sometimes being out of the academic space for a while can be a, a small detriment, right, in, in order to take the LSAT and do the best that you can. And then also your operational kind of tempo can also like be a detriment into studying for that LSAT. But I would say you can really study for the LSAT maximally and get a good score, you know, six to 12 months out from application. So that would put you... If you're in the army, you know, maybe as like a uh, like a senior first lieutenant, you know, knocking on the door, a captain, um, I would start doing that. I mean, I would start taking a look at what that looks like. Like I said, the 24 months from the time that you you plan to start school, I, w- I would really start to drill down into focusing, developing a study plan and figuring out how to get that going in terms of like what you should be doing in the army. I think you hit the nail on the head where like you have to focus on being a good lieutenant initially. Like you just have to, like they, there's no getting around that. Like I know people that walked into the army knowing they were going to get out day one, but that shapes, you know, let me back up a little bit. Like, and let me just give you philosophy here. So a lot of times the army is your first real professional career at 22 years old. You know, and you might have had jobs here and there. You know, I had jobs at like a grocery store job. I worked at like Six Flags, right? <laughs> uh, when I was a teenager. But the Army was the first time where I said, no, this is something that I'm doing every day for a series of years. And this is like my first adult job, right? So I think that in that, you build habits. Like you really do build habits. And those habits are a lot of times driven based on your attitude, how you're thinking about what you're doing. Now, did I want to be an infantry officer, hard charging and getting after it for 20 years? Like, no, that was never my you know choice or desire. But in that moment, I realized that this is what I am doing and this is what I'm being assessed at doing. So I have to give like my maximal effort to this, whatever it is that's being asked of me, I have to do and I have to be you know very proficient at because people are relying on me to do this. Right. So I think that 
that will build a series of professional attitudes and habits that will carry on to you even when you get into the career field of your desire, right? So I knew I wanted to be an attorney. So that was something I really wanted to do. But at the moment when I was an infantry officer, I said, well, look, there's, you know, 58 points on this PMCS that I need to learn because they're telling me that like, I need to check this. So I will sit down and read these 58 points and go over them with the soldiers because that is what my job is today, right? When you become, you know, a banker, an attorney, I'll go with an attorney. There's going to be a lot of stuff that like you don't really want to do, right? <laughs> you know, like you know, writing a corporate charter is not very fun or, or sexy, right? But it is what you are required to do. So if there are 58 things that you need to check within that charter to ensure that it's sufficient, you want to have the attitude of, hey, this is what I have to do. So this is what we're going to do. And we're going to do it well. And those attitudes are built when you're younger, right? Your initial time, right? Because th those are just the habits that you have. If you think you can wave something off in the army, you'll think that you can wave stuff off as a banker, as an attorney, as a consultant, as a project manager, whatever. So I would say really spend the time focusing on being a good soldier, a good lieutenant, understanding the job, anticipating what you need to do, going above and beyond what's asked for you, because that will translate into your professional school studies. That will also translate into your professional school approach. And then it would also translate into that subsequent profession that you want to transition into. Nothing. All, all great points. Setting the, the right type of habits that carry throughout your professional career. Because I exactly. would say those habits carry forward. And that's also what distinguishes you from the rest of your peers that have never had that military experience. I think that's oh, yeah. a real gem. And then just add, add in something else, like a practical point to that is, you know, at least in the law school realm, I'm sure it's similar in the business school realm, you know, you're going to have to get letters of recommendation. <laughs> and then you're also going to have to tell your story, right? You want your story to read that you're a hard worker, that the, the stereotypes of veterans are true for you. Right. You know, you're an exceptionally hard worker. You can operate under dire circumstances and that you can solve problems uh, that get a little hairy with using your ingenuity. Right. So all of those are going to require you to kind of intrinsically commit to whatever you're doing as a lieutenant. Right. Because in your personal statement, if you don't have any stories to tell to show these things, you can't really make that stuff up. Right. And, and that will kind of lack a unique and distinct advantage that you have as a veteran when you're telling, you know, your life story and what drew you to professional school in general. No, all, all amazing points. And so looking back on those lessons learned, did you reference any books to figure that out specifically? Uh, for me, I just, it was all veterans, right? It was all talking to people who had recently transitioned out who had transitioned out and done what I wanted to do, people who had transitioned out and done different things and getting just a, you know, a broad swath of different experiences to draw on. Um, I literally had, you know, a panel of maybe like six or seven army vets, West Point grads review all of my like, you know, personal statements and kind of give me like, you know, pointers on like, hey, look, go out and be a good lieutenant. Like one of my biggest mentors who, you know, he's a post-army guy who, you know, always, always, always like harped on, hey, you know, do your five years, get out and go be great, right? 
he, you know, when I talked to him, I was surprised. I asked him, look, what can I be doing right now? I asked him as a second lieutenant, I said, what can I be doing right now to maximize like my ability to like you know, get to the best school or you know, get the best job coming out? He was like, look, just go be a good lieutenant and go go put your soldiers first right now. And that will be everything you need to be doing right now at, you know, month eight in the army, right. In order to, to, to be okay. And, you know, that 100% range true. I'm telling you it, 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 I saw it in my letters of recommendation. I saw it in, you know, the people who were willing to kind of reach down and help me uh, once they realized that that's something I wanted to do. Even my battalion commander who, you know, really wanted me to stay in and, you know, go do things. Uh, he's like a super ranger guy. So he wanted me to stay in and say, look, man, you need to go do this and you know, go to the ranger battalion and they need young soldiers. And, uh, you know, once I told him, hey, look, I, I actually want to go out and go to law school, you know, he really did provide some guidance and help and pointed me to some great people that were able to provide good perspective. So I, I would just say leverage your network, your network. The books are great. Yeah, go go read them. You know, I, I did not, <laughs> right? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but for me, I just I'm more of a you know, my life is more of a people sport. So I really leveraged my network, and that kind of led me to uh, where I am today. No, good point. I mean, your network and how they speak about you, that sponsorship, that mentorship, are extremely valuable. You also mentioned a point earlier talking about certain jobs allow for better transitions than others. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I believe when, when I was transitioned, they gave me like three or four choices. So like, you can be a basic training XO, you can go to Korea, you can be a YS hacker, pastor deployed to like Iraq or Afghanistan. Yeah. Can you help other people figure out like when you say jobs that make uh-huh. it a bit easier, what does that kind of look like? And what are some examples that fit into that bucket? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So I think that... um Really, you you know, any job in the army is going to be challenging and it's going to require a lot of, you know, man hours to tackle in a sufficient way. Right now, that being said, there are some jobs that are more flexible than others in terms of how you allocate those man hours. Right. So with that being the case, you want to think about, you know, usually you'll be like a, a captain or so, a young captain, maybe, or even, you know, further than that, if you decide to stay in a little bit longer, you will have to do your KD experience, of course, your key development stuff. So, you know, your platoon leader, your commander, your, you know, whatever, like your key developmental, you know, branch qualifying experiences, those will tend to be the least flexible uh, when you're trying to think about how to transition out. Now, there are some excellent soldiers who know how to balance that. I've seen people, you know, take command and apply to business school and law school while in command and then immediately transition out into school. If you have the capacity to do that, like awesome. Uh, I, I don't know how they do it, but look, it's possible. What I would recommend, though, is I would recommend waiting until you get into a broadening position, right? So, that's going to look like, you know, I know some people that do like ROTC jobs, uh, jobs that don't require a lot of field time that will give you your evenings and weekends. So you want to look for, and I hate to say this, but at civilian of a job as you can get while still in the army, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, it is, it is what it is. You got to put you first at some point. The army is going to take uh, or the military is going to take, you know, you know, because it is, you know, it requires some significant commitment, right? But you want to carve out space for yourself 
and, and achieving what you want to do. For me, what I did was I went back to West Point and worked as a diversity admissions officer. It's a unique job that's offered to uh, young military officers at certain points. Usually they're academy grads uh, and they'll be like a mill per message that comes out and you know it'll advertise this position. For me, it was hands down. And, you know, I love being a PL. I love, you know, doing everything that I did in the army. But for me, that was the best job I had in the army. It was the most beneficial. It was the most rewarding. It was most in line with what I personally like to do, uh, which is mentor, coach, train, and help people kind of make good decisions that will benefit their, their lives and maximize their opportunities. So bringing young, diverse candidates uh, into West Point was amazing. And it also provided me nights and weekends, to be honest with you. Now, there were certainly times when I had to, you know, focus. I had to travel a lot. I had to, you know, look into, you know, people's different schedules. I had to talk to kids on their schedules on nights and weekends, right? You know, I had to sit in living rooms and convince mom and dad that, like, they were going to be fine, right? (laughs) But uh, outside of those, like, rarities and rare occasions, I really did have large swaths of time. And I had an incredible set of bosses. I I was very transparent with my bosses about my desire to go to law school. And they made sure that I could, you know, leave work early sometimes to go to LFAT classes. They gave me time off to visit law schools that I was interested in. And just the flexibility that I got was bar none. It was just an incredible blessing. And, And then I was able to stay, you know, my position was only supposed to be for 12 months, but I was able to stay for an additional year and then transition out directly from West Point and then, you know, literally just move down the Palisades Parkway to start school uh, in New York City at Columbia. So uh, I would say there are a ton of jobs. That was a unique job. Right. But there are a ton of jobs in the Army that give you that latitude. There are certain staff positions. I've even heard people taking certain generals aid positions that were provided them a lot of latitude. Now, every general is different from what I hear. And there are some generals that you know, are very, very demanding in those roles. But I think that, you know, just talking again, talking to your network, seeing, you know, what type of time people have could definitely be a way to do it. So just to, to some, I would say an example of these forces or these jobs, admissions officer at West Point, recruiting positions, certain staff positions, right? Like I would really just talk to people who have done them at different times, at different cycles of these positions to see what is the time commitment that you need in order to excel in these jobs. And if they say that you can do it from nine to five, nine to six, and and have weekends off, then those are the positions that you'd want to go into so that you can commit those evenings and those weekends to putting together the pieces that will allow you to have a successful transition. No, that makes perfect sense. And then along those, like, how did you think about location? Because you know certain options, because typically military posts tend to be far away from major cities. <laughs> How do you think about those? Since most major, you know, great law schools are located, you know, in, in busy metropolitan areas, far away from military bases. Right, right. Uh, so for me, uh, I chose my job because it was in New York. You know, just an earshot away from New York City, and then it also provided me latitude to travel. And there were opportunities when I would travel that, hey, look, I'm, you know, I'm down here in North Carolina doing a a recruiting event. I can pop over to Duke and I can go check out their law school, right? I'm in Atlanta. I can pop over to Emory and check out their law school. Or, hey, 
you know, can I, you know, put in a request for a half a day, drive down to New Haven and, you know, I can pop into Yale, right? Or, you know, I've worked recruiting kids in New York City. So, hey, okay, like I'm done for the day. Let me pop over to the Submitted Students Weekend uh, event over at Columbia, right? Or NYU or something like that, right? So that job was able to really help me do what I need to do. And again, I think it's two things, right? I think location is important because you don't want to be too far away because that'll take a lot of time and travel and stuff like that. But I think latitude is also important, right? You know, is your boss going to give you the flexibility to, to, to be able to do these things and to be able to understand that, hey, I have something else outside of my down to five, my day to day that is going to require some effort and some time away from the desk, right? But I think it goes also back to the point that I made in the last question, which is you got to have the right attitude and, and reputation, right? If you have a reputation as being somebody that is an exceptional worker and work autonomously and get the job done, then that latitude is going to grow a little bit. But if, you know, your OERs and so your OERs are going to preclude you from getting some of these jobs if they're not good, right? So that's why you got to focus on being a good lieutenant first. You'll get a reputation. You'll build rapport with your boss in these broadening experiences, and that will provide you with the latitude that you need in order to actually go ahead and uh, pursue this out, outside of work or extracurricular endeavor of uh, transitioning. No, all amazing points, Phil. Especially like choosing bosses in the right jobs and locations. And so kind of to, to close us out, when you thought about your army exit, can you talk a little about one, lining up the benefits and then also like talking about funding of schools or programs when to transition? I think a lot of people have concerns about that. Right. I think that especially as military officers, particularly for, you know, my West Point crowd, I think that we very often overlook some of the benefits that are provided to soldiers once they transition out. A lot of times we look at it as, well, I got this great education for free and, you know, I may have a little, you know, post 9-11 GI Bill and you know, that's more than what I deserve for my five years, my seven years of the army. And while that is a valiant, selfless approach, there if there are real benefits that like, you know, you are due constitutionally and federally uh, from the army for different things, uh, you have to pursue those options. You, you would be remiss if you did not pursue those options. For me, VA compensation and pension led me to, you know, and focusing on that, having an excellent first sergeant and series of enlisted soldiers and mentors who, you know, were adamant about like, hey, you know, get your stuff documented, sir. Or, you know, other West Point mentors who, you know, hey, look, man, like, you know, these are things that are going to help you when you get out. Like you need to like, you know, look into that direction. That is what was the impetus for me of starting to do the research into, okay, like, well, what does the VA actually give? And how does this whole thing work? And, you know, what am I entitled to? And then that led me to a program called vocational rehabilitation and employment. And that was something that kind of blew the water open for me in terms of helping me fund law school. And I would definitely recommend any transitioning military officer to look into the voc rehab program. I think it's now veteran readiness and employment now is what it's called uh, these days. But look into that. I would look into you know, whether you're going to actually qualify for post 9-11. I would look into the Yellow Ribbon Program. 
to see, you know, whether you qualify for that and what schools that you're applying to actually honor that program. And then I would also look into certain scholarships that are, you know, unique to veterans, the Pat Tillman Foundation, uh, excellent, excellent organization. I would, you know, talk with the people at a service to school. That's another excellent organization that can help with transition specifically into uh, the graduate schools. And, and if you're an enlisted soldier into the undergraduate schools as well, and then uh, also vocational training. So 100% look at the resources that are available to you. So I would say, you know, if your transition planning with a pie uh, equated to 100%, I think about 30% of that pie uh, would be looking at the benefits that you are afforded and doing deep research into what that looks like. And that'll go hand in hand with some of your financial planning. And and I I would bet my last penny that that would provide you some relief in that regard in some way. No, I'll nice because uh, I believe you, you were the one helping me figure out a little bit more about the VA and uh, vocation rehabilitation, putting some of those legal skills to, to work down that for <laughs> Right, right. Pre bar, pre bar legal skills. <laughs> pre bar legal skills, all very important. We all need barracks lawyers, right. you know. Uh, <laughs> and so, kind of as we wrap up, Paul. I mean, you give us a lot of great advice, a lot of great, you know, nuggets and gems. If people want to learn more about you and your story, like where should they connect with you to like learn more, like ask questions? Uh, anybody can check me out on LinkedIn. My name is Paul Bryant. Uh, you you know my school credentials. Uh, you know my work credentials. So you know just. Find me on the search bar, send me a message. I'm pretty responsive on that social media platform. So feel free to ask me a question. I'll probably send you my email and we can definitely connect. Awesome. Awesome. And then are there any things that you're working on, initiatives, uh, side hustles that you'd like to share kind of with our listeners? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, right now, working with Sean <laughs> to help build out Rising Phoenix. So, so check that one out as well. So that's a, a program that helps uh, young youth to just improve their academic and educational outcomes. Uh, I am starting to not yet develop fully develop a practice to help veterans uh, with their VA claims and their compensation and benefit stuff. Very limited opportunity to do that. But for people that really need it, uh, please feel free to shoot me a LinkedIn. I also have connections to actual consultants that help with that as well. So happy to share those with anybody who needs them. Awesome. Well, Paul, we appreciate your time and thank you so much for tagging with our guests. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, good luck on the transition, everybody out there, and don't give up. Start early. <laughs>